Well, if you've been around the church here for very long, at some point or other, you've probably had me share some of my favorite movies with you. I've either done that in sermons or maybe in conversation. And my favorite movies stay pretty consistent. They really haven't changed for about a quarter of a century or so. And uh, one of my all-time favorite movies is Braveheart, starring Mel Gibson. How many of you have seen Braveheart? Yes, great movie. Have my kids not seen Braveheart? Oh, I know what we're doing this afternoon. All right, all right. So the movie Braveheart tells the story of uh, William Wallace, a Scottish noble who was one of the leaders of the wars of Scottish independence in the 13th and 14th centuries. Many of you are probably familiar with the film, having seen it, and one of my, uh, in my opinion, it has one of the greatest endings of any movie uh, ever. Uh, William Wallace is captured by the English, he's brought to London, he's tried, and he is sentenced to death. As he is being tortured, in an attempt to get him to recant regarding his rebellion toward King Edward I, just before he is about to, to be executed, he indicates that he would like to speak. This leads the executioner to give him the opportunity, no doubt, expecting him to recant and pledge his allegiance to Edward. So the crowd grows quiet. All eyes are fastened on Wallace. Everyone is highly attentive. They are listening closely because he is about to give in. He is about to recant and pledge his loyalty to Edward. But instead of recanting, Wallace cries out his final word in a loud voice that all can hear. Freedom! You didn't think I'd do it, did you? I didn't want to do it because I felt really silly, but I thought, yeah, I'm going to do it. So it was something like that. And then he's executed. <laughs> it's a comedy. Uh, so <laughs> he fought for freedom, and with his dying word, he proclaimed what he gave his life trying to achieve, freedom. It's a great movie, it's a sad but great ending, and it is a great a line. The fact that it is his dying word is what really causes it to stick out in our memory. I'm pretty certain that through that movie, Wallace cried out freedom on a number of occasions, but it is that dying proclamation that we remember. And that's at least in part because dying words carry great importance, and they make a great impact on the people uh, who hear them. I'm guessing that many of us here today probably remember and cherish the dying or the last words of a family member or a, a friend, perhaps a grandparent or uh, a parent. We may have talked to this person for hours on end across many decades but their dying words have a way of rising above the rest of what they said and really having a profound uh, impact on us. Uh, today we're going to look at Luke 23, 32 through 46, which tells us of the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. And what I want to focus our attention on today 
are the dying words of Jesus that we see uh, in the text. As he is being crucified, as Jesus is dying for the sins of the world, dying for your sins and my sins, Luke records for us three things that Jesus says from the cross. So let's look at Luke 23, 32 through 46. I'll read. Uh, You follow along either in your Bible or it should be on the screen behind me. Here's what it says. Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written a notice above him, which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, when he had said this, he breathed his last. A wonderful passage of scripture. And within these verses we see three statements that Jesus spoke from the cross. The first statement we see in verse 34, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they're doing. Now I want you to remember the context. Remember what is happening in this moment. Jesus has been unjustly condemned to death. Pilate, in a pathetic act of cowardice, had refused to overrule the mob. And so Jesus had been beaten mercilessly. The flesh ripped from his back by 39 lashes with a whip that was interwoven with shards of metal and glass. He had been stripped, he had been made fun of, he had been beaten over the head, he had a mocking crown made of thorns pressed deep into the flesh of his head. He was nailed to the cross, his hands and feet. Jesus, when he spoke these words that we've read today, was bleeding, he was battered, he was in excruciating pain. And he looks at the people carrying out these savage acts against him. And he prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. It's an amazing It's an amazing prayer. In that moment, in that context, it is an amazing thing that Jesus prayed. From the cross, Jesus pleaded with God to forgive the very people 
who were unjustly and barbarically crucifying him. Dying words are important. Dying words are impactful words. Dying words make a lasting impression. And these dying words of Jesus should make a lasting impression on all of us. This is the response of Jesus to those killing him. Killing him. We say we follow Jesus. We say that we want to become more and more like him. If we are to follow Jesus, if we are to become more and more like him, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us to become the kind of people who can look at those who are sinning against us and cry out to God, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. They don't really understand what they're up to right now. Father, forgive them. It seems like too tall of a task for us, doesn't it? I know it seems too tall for me. And of course it is too tall of a task for us. On our own, in our own strength, it is. But if we will allow the transforming power of the Holy Spirit to go to work in our lives, it really isn't. And we see an example of this uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 7. You may be familiar with Stephen, the very first Christian martyr. He, he was... He was being murdered for his faith, and he modeled in that moment the prayer of his Savior. And as he was being treated, very much like Jesus had been treated, he cries out to God on behalf of the people who are stoning him to death, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. It's it's amazing. It is an amazing prayer. From the cross, Jesus spoke of forgiveness. He modeled forgiveness. And implicit in his statement is a call for all who call him Lord to follow after him in this way. And we are to become people who pray to God for the good of those who sin against us. Wow. So, a couple of questions. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? The co-worker who mocks your faith in Christ? The boss who makes you work late so you miss another dinner with your family? The family member who gossiped about you at the family reunion you weren't able to attend? Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? Here's the next question. Who do you need to pray for? Calling out to God to be merciful to them. Perhaps the atheist who keeps telling you that God isn't real and that you're foolish to believe such fairy tales. Perhaps the friend who says there's a Christian but distorts the clear teaching of Scripture to justify whatever sin that they want to engage in. Perhaps the person who's cheated you out of money And though you're angry with them, you know that the real problem is that they're so far from Jesus. 
the husband who keeps injuring you with his words, the wife who keeps holding a bad financial decision over your head. Who do you need to pray for? Asking God to be merciful to them. From the cross, Jesus calls us to forgive. He models forgiveness. And he calls us to care about the sinful people he loves enough. He wants us to love them enough that we're willing to appeal to God on their behalf. Even if we're being personally injured, personally harmed by them. I admit that it's very easy for me to become righteously, I believe righteously, I think righteously, indignant, I think righteously, it's easy for me to become righteously indignant with people. I think it's easy for a lot of us to do that. But it is so difficult to care enough about them to realize how desperately they are in need of God's mercy and grace, that the very thing that is causing me to be so righteously indignant toward them is just evidence of how desperately they need God. There is a place for righteous anger. There really is. But it is always right for us to see those who view themselves as our enemies, who treat us as enemies. It is always right for us to see them as people desperately in need of God's grace and to appeal to God on their behalf. That's how much Jesus loved the world. And that's how much Jesus wants us, his followers, to love the world. And so this week, I encourage you, share the heart of Jesus, forgive as you have been forgiven, and appeal to God for mercy for someone who is far from him, even if that person happens to be the person who is mistreating you. The second statement Jesus makes from the cross, we find in verse 43, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. From the cross, Jesus spoke about salvation. I have always loved this interaction between Jesus and the thief on the cross. It's always seemed so appropriate to me that at the exact moment that Jesus is dying for the sins of the entire world, he shows exactly how great, exactly how far-reaching his mercy and his grace really are. I want you to consider the thief on the cross. I want you to consider this man who asked Jesus to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. He says of himself in the text that he has been condemned justly. He acknowledges, I deserve what I'm getting right now. I did it. I deserve to die. He is just about to do that. He is about to die. And here's what we take from that. He is never going to do anything for the kingdom of God ever. He's going to be of no use to God's kingdom. He's never going to tell anybody about Jesus. He's not going to go on a missionary journey with the Apostle Paul. He's not going to teach a Sunday school class. He's not going to give an offering. He's not going to serve a widow He's not going to ease the suffering of a leper. He is not going to exercise any spiritual gifts. He's not going to make restitution 
to the victims of his crimes. He is going to be of no use to the kingdom of God. And yet, for simply asking to be remembered, Jesus says to him, Today, you will be with me in paradise. Awful life. Nothing to give the kingdom. Remember me. You're in. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Today you'll be with me in paradise. And there are at least three things that we learn from then, uh, from this. Here's the first one. It is never too late to turn to Jesus. It's never too late. If you have a loved one who has refused the grace of God their entire lives, they, they came to their time of death and they slipped into eternity. As he was with the thief on the cross, I want to assure you that up until the last moment of their life, God was still trying to reach your loved one. And all it took, you may not know whatever happened, and I'm, and I'm not offering any false assurances here today, but, but you may not even know. But all it took in the last moments of their life was for them to finally see and embrace the truth and cry out however they could in that moment, perhaps even inaudibly, to cry out, Jesus, remember me. And he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. There's always hope. There's this great poem, I wish I knew the name of it, but I don't. It's written by a man, um, it, it's written about, not by, it's written about a man who was killed when he was thrown from his horse. After he died, he wrote this poem. No, that's not what happened. So it's a poem written about a man who was killed as he was thrown from his galloping horse. And here's what it says. Betwixt the stirrup and the ground, mercy I ask, mercy I found. That's how quickly we can receive the salvation that Jesus offers us. Is from the moment it takes us to, to, to slip out of the stirrup, fall off the horse until we hit the ground and die. That split second, Jesus, save me. Today you'll be with me. In paradise. While there is life, there is hope, it is never too late to turn to Jesus. You may have a wife or a husband or a parent or a child who has consistently refused the offer of salvation through faith in Christ. You worry, you are fearful for them. I want you to be encouraged today that God is seeking after them and he will never stop seeking them. They may have rejected him for years, but it is not too late. As long as there is life, as long as there is breath, it is not too late. Maybe you're the one who's been refusing Christ year after year after year. Maybe you've recently been thinking that you wanted to turn to Christ, but a voice in your head is telling you that you've rejected him too many times. You've done too many things wrong. You've resisted his spirit too much. You've sinned too greatly. Christ's response to the criminal who calls out to him lets us know. It lets you know that it is never too late to turn to Jesus. And so if you haven't, you should today. You've not done too much. 
You have not gone too far. You can turn to him today. It is not too late for you. The second thing we learn, salvation is entirely by grace, not works. It's not about what we can do. It is not about our merit. Again, the criminal was never going to do anything for Jesus. No good works, not a single one. And yet Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. We need to give up this false idea that, that is pervasive in our culture, and even among us who, who say we know better, it still seeps into the way we think and the way we act. We have to give up this idea that we merit our way with God. We don't. It is all God's grace. From beginning to end, it is all God's grace. Jesus is communicating in this statement from the cross. He's communicating to a world full of screw-ups in 21st century vernacular. Your screw-ups can't keep you from salvation. Your screw-ups aren't so bad that I'm not willing to receive you into my kingdom. No matter what you've done, no matter how many times you promised to stop and you haven't, you can still receive God's grace through the cross of Jesus Christ. And here's the third thing we learn. Salvation is received through faith. It is by grace. It is through faith. By, by turning and asking Jesus to remember him, the criminal is acknowledging that he knows who Jesus is and recognizes that Jesus is his only hope. That's faith. That's faith. It's really as simple as that. Believe what the scriptures say about Jesus. He's the Savior. Recognize that you need him to save you and cry out to him. That's faith. That's how we get saved. Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Will be. How? By simply calling on the name of the Lord. Jesus, I know who you are. Jesus, I need to be saved. Jesus, remember me. Save me. Have mercy on me. Call on the Lord and you will be saved. Now the New Testament says all kinds of things. We could talk for days about all the different things the New Testament tells us about salvation. But when you boil it all down to its essence, here it is. Call on the Lord in faith and you'll be saved. Though we deserve death, God offers us salvation completely unmerited provided through the sacrificial death of Jesus, all we have to do is believe him and call out to him. Why has God made salvation so simple? Because he loves us. He loves us. He made it simple. 
made it so good. From the cross, Jesus spoke of forgiveness. From the cross, Jesus spoke of salvation. And from the cross, Jesus spoke of trust. The third thing we see in our text that Jesus said is in verse 46. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It's important for us to remember at this point that what we find out about Jesus in the scriptures is that Jesus was both fully and truly God. He was also fully and truly man. And as such, as a man, he experienced all the emotions that we experience. And we uh, see this earlier in the story when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion. He prays to God. And he says, God, if it would be possible, please let me find another way. Let this cup pass from me. I do not want to drink this cup of suffering that is set before me. But then he ends the prayer this way. But not my will. Yours be done. People often say, you've probably said, I've, I've said, people often say they aren't afraid to die, but they're worried about what they might have to go through in the process of dying. Jesus, truly human, has a process ahead of him that is excruciating. The horror that Jesus went through simply cannot be overstated. I, I always actually hate to try to be descriptive about it because it's just so, like you can't do it justice. Being truly human, this presents him with the same challenge it would present anyone. And yet, in the midst of such horror, Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. From the cross, in pain, Jesus spoke of trusting God the Father. When the worst is happening, we can know that we are in our Father's loving care. Not just when everything's going well, but when the very worst is happening. Even then, we are in God's care. Many of us battle with fear. Many of us battle with fear. Jesus is showing us from the cross that even when the worst that can happen to us does, and we come to our time of death and there's no avoiding it, even then we can know that we are in God's hands. In the worst of circumstances, we can still be secure and we can still trust God. No matter what you're facing today, Jesus' words from the cross, His example from the cross, show us, and encourage us that we can trust God, our Father. 
Many of us here today, I'm sure it's true, it's probably all of us here today, have been in very low points in our lives where we have experienced God's care for us in those moments. And so many of us, probably most of us, maybe all of us, are able to testify that this is true. Even in the worst moments, God cares for us and He sustains us. And sometimes we don't even realize it until after the fact, but we can look back and we can say, okay, I see, I couldn't have gotten through that if God had not strengthened me. Friend, you can trust Jesus no matter your circumstance. Jesus tells us this and He models this from the cross. These words of Jesus, into your hands I commit my spirit, are the exact words found in Psalm 31. And they are the words that William Barclay tells us, every Jewish mother taught her child to say the last thing at night. Into your hands I commit my spirit. It's much like those of us who may have taught our little children at one time, or those of you with little children now may be teaching them to to pray at bedtime, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. God, I commit my spirit to you. I, I trust myself to you. And then after we taught our kids to pray that prayer, they would climb into a nice warm bed and drift off to a comfortable sleep. Jesus is showing us that when the circumstances are not comfortable, when there isn't a warm bed, even when death is certain, that we can still trust God, we can still know that we are in His hands. And so from the cross, Jesus proves that we can trust God no matter what. So as we consider the words of Jesus spoken from the cross, as we consider the example of Jesus, may every single one of us here today allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and lead us to the place where we can do three things. Where we can forgive when we are wronged. Appeal to God to be gracious to those who sin against us. Number two, that we can come to the place where we trust in Christ alone for salvation. And, and that applies to those of us who have already received salvation. That we continue to understand the source of our salvation is Christ alone, not our merit. Give up the false notion that we can merit God's approval. Give up the false notion that our lack of merit is too great for God's grace to overcome. And then number three, that we may fully entrust ourselves to God no matter what our circumstances are. In the name of Jesus, may these three things be true in our lives. Why don't you stand? 